If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out foul since 1974. I'm Miss Barbecue. I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight, I'll talk to Matthew Shepard's father and his best friend from high school about Matt's life, legacy, and a new documentary called Matt Shepard Was a Friend of Mine. We also have more of Abby D's terrific interview with Kate Kendall, the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights. And we are buzzed here in the studio about trans actress Mar- Marlo Bernier, who stops by to talk about her latest project, Mirna. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Matthew McLaughlin. And I'm Sarah Sweeney. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending April 4th, 2015. Lawmakers in the small Mediterranean country of Malta have enacted what are being hailed as the world's most progressive gender identity laws. Going beyond similar measures that its fellow European Union members have passed, the legislation approved this week allows a person to change her or his legal gender simply by filing an affidavit with a notary. Gender reassignment surgery is not required. The new Maltese law also prohibits discrimination on the basis of gender identity. It also includes some groundbreaking provisions for minors and intersex babies, those born without clearly male or female anatomy. It outlaws non-medically necessary treatments on the sex characteristics of a person without informed consent, and allows parents to postpone entering a gender marker on a child's birth certificate. This is the latest in a series of LGBT rights laws ushered through Parliament by the Labour Party since it took power in 2013. Even though Malta constitutionally establishes Roman Catholicism as the official state religion, the country's politically powerful church stated its opposition to the measure through a surprisingly low-key comments and concerns statement in December. Paolo Paolo Corte Real, speaking for the European branch of the global LGBT rights group ILGA, praised Maltese equality activists for their persistence and called the new laws a beacon of hope and an inspirational benchmark for other European countries that need to improve their own LGBTI equality standards. Following the late February announcement by Mayor Toshitaka Kuwahara that legislation was in the works, the Shibuya Ward in Japan's capital of Tokyo has become the nation's first government authority to recognize lesbian and gay couples. 
The district assembly voted overwhelmingly on March 31st to issue certificates describing same-gender unions as equivalent to marriage and granting those couples housing and hospital visitation rights. Shibuya is one of Japan's major business hubs and is also known for its boutiques, live music, startups, and more than 11,000 non-Japanese registered residents. Applauding the assembly vote, Mayor Kuwahara told reporters that the purpose is to realize a society where everyone can live in hope. The first certificates are expected to be issued in July, and although they're only applicable in Shibuya and not legally binding, violators will be shamed by having their names posted on the ward's website. Ironically, Japan's conservative prime minister Shinzo Abe, who opposes marriage equality and has come out strongly against the new ordinance, lives in Shibuya. Similar measures are reportedly now under consideration in two other Tokyo wards and in the city of Yokohama. But the censor board of India has banned a lesbian-themed film called Unfreedom. It's the story of a young woman who resists an arranged marriage to be with her girlfriend. Director Raj Amit Kumar told the Bangalore Mirror that the film certification appellate tribunal squirmed over the nudity and lesbian sex scenes and decided that the movie's two juxtaposed storylines, the other is about a terrorist who kidnaps a liberal Muslim, would ignite unnatural passions. Kumar said he now plans to make his case in India's high court. The censor board cannot tell a filmmaker what to make and what not to, he said. Unfreedom is scheduled for release in North American theaters on May 29th. Activist writer Michelangelo Signorelli called it a spellbinding week in the United States for advocates of equality. In the course of less than seven days, efforts to pass so-called religious freedom bills in a number of U.S. states that critics call licenses to discriminate unexpectedly grinded to a halt. Republican Governor Mike Pence became a literal laughingstock when he tried to defend Indiana's bill to allow individuals, organizations, and private businesses to deny service to anyone whose presence violates their sincerely held religious beliefs. LGBT people were the less-than-subtle targets of the measure, even though they weren't specifically named. After enduring escalating heat from major Indiana-based businesses, at least one Christian denomination, national employee groups, and a plethora of Silicon Valley tech companies, Pence signed a clarifying measure on April 2nd intended to protect religious freedoms and to respect local LGBT anti-bias bans in Indianapolis, Bloomington, and a few other localities but the bill did not establish statewide protections. 28 other U.S. states have no protections from discrimination in hiring, housing, or public accommodations based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Arkansas's Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson, who a week earlier had told reporters that he looked forward to signing a bill like Indiana's original version for his state, refused to sign it this week when it got to his desk saying that he had been strongly lobbied by constituents, including his own son, to veto it. By week's end, he had also signed a revised version of the bill similar to the clarified Indiana bill. The fallout from the Pence debacle and the focus it brought to LGBT rights this week stalled or killed outright pending religious freedom bills in Georgia, Montana, North Carolina, and Nevada. They're still on the agenda in at least 10 states, but the ACLU says that similar bills have also been defeated in eight others. 
It was indeed the week that was for Governor Mike Pence and the state of Indiana. That's News Wrap for the week ending April 4th, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Matthew McLaughlin. And I'm Sarah Sweeney. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap, on Stitcher Radio On Demand, on iTunes, or at thiswayout.org. Also on the program this week, Indiana's Governor Mike does some pence-mending. Whoa! Oh. Funny, girl. Ow. After his week that was, ignites the latest battle in the steel-simmering culture wars. Well, mm. speaking of culture wars, yes. mm-hmm. right-wing talking heads have had a Busy week defending Indiana's anti-LGBT religious liberty law. Oh. I love religious liberty. To me, that doesn't mean you get more freedom, I get less. That's not the way it well, works. Well, it's a but... misnomer. Religious liberty is about worship. It's not about discrimination. Well, we're bringing back an old segment we used to do where we play some clips. Yes. So we're debating here on the name. We used to call it the new new. We were going to call it something else. Got any ideas, girl? I was thinking maybe seriously. Ha- or something, hashtag WTF. That's what I was thinking. I like to call it the T. The T. The T, honey. What does that mean? Help me. I'm old. <laughs> what is the T? What is oh, the yeah. T? Drop the pearls. <laughs> you know, despite the fact that 83% of Americans identify as Christians, that's 265 million people. And yep. LGBT folks account for about 3% of the population. One religious rights main talking points is still... About us being the bullies. Yeah. And this is from Fox News, and it is a wonderful lesbian, Tammy Bruce, conservative lesbian Tammy Bruce, talking to Tucker Carlson. There's a lot of fear in the gay community that if you do speak up in this regard, and this is our natural position, of course, because we are effectively, whether you're liberals or libertarian, this is about being able to live lives as we see fit as minorities. And I think that when you see a mob operating, there's fear and you tend to retreat. And we saw this with Chick-fil-A. Everybody came to Chick-fil-A's defense when they were under attack by fascists, by bullies. The gay liberals have turned into bullies. Really? Yes. Gay liberals are bullies? We're the bullies. We're the bullies you now. Know, you know, with that whole, the whole idea, her, I mean, Tammy Bruce, you know, is kind of an enigma to all of us. She is a lesbian. She's out. She's been on radio for years. And she has decided to take the conservative position, or she is a conservative. And I, and I truly feel, because how can you how can you be that way when you are literally saying, Here's who I am. Oppress me, please. Please oppress me. It's like it's like when Phyllis Schlafly went out there and said, you know, women really do belong in the home. They shouldn't be working. They're not raising their children right. I mean, I, the fact that she is still a viable uh, broadcaster is kind of beyond me. I love that well, you mentioned she was an act up. I can't even imagine her an act up. Yeah, but, you know, some people just show up to one meeting or go to one parade or buy the T-shirt and they think they're an act up. You know, uh, they, they somehow feel that somehow I was there. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, posing and putting themselves in places of, of work when they really didn't do Well, joke. I hate to disagree with you guys. I think a lot of times, sometimes we do come off as bullies that we want our... How so? We want our opinions... So, sometimes we want our opinions done so so 
want people to understand our opinions so much that we have a tendency to ignore what the other person, the person probably totally understands where we're coming from, but we're so, you need to understand us that sometimes it goes into right, to their but faces that's, But that's too. misusing the word bully. Yeah, it's misusing mis- I mean, the word bully. Like strong the word- arm is more of the be- better well, word. I, I like strong arm. I'm going to call time on the play right just, now. Let's, know, let's think, move on to the next Okay, okay, okay. We have another one here. Our good buddy Mark Levin, he broadcasts out of San Francisco, and he has an idea about how gays feel about uh, Christians and everybody else. And now we are being told that these laws are anti-gay laws. No, ladies and gentlemen, the people who oppose these laws hate liberty. They hate the Constitution. I'll go even further. They hate America. I love America, and I served with the uh, military for the Civilian as a Department of Defense. I love America. Have you done that, Mark? Hmm? <laughs> this one I don't get at all. I mean, the, the whole uh, association through everything that we hate America, it's like, it's like, no, I don't think so. Well, I want to move on to my favorite of the week, which came from our favorite senator from Arkansas, Senator Tom Cotton. We have a favorite? Tom a favorite. Cotton. He's the one who likes to write letters to the Ayatollah. Okay. He thinks that we should be very grateful because... Other countries have it worse. Get your quick reaction to what's going on in your home state of Arkansas, a very different subject. The governor, Asa Hutchinson, as you well know, decided he wasn't going to sign into law this religious freedom bill, in part based on what's going on in Indiana right now. Your reaction? Well, Wolf, in Arkansas, we believe in religious freedom. That's one reason why our well, form- everybody believes in religious well, that's one freedom. Of, well, that's one reason why our But former- the question is the discrimination, potential discrimination against gay Americans. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was signed by former Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton in his first year in office. These laws are modeled on that, and a lot of the concerns about discrimination haven't been brought born to bear over the last 20 years. But I also think it's important that we have a sense of perspective about our priorities. In Iran, they hang you for the crime of being gay. Sense of perspective. Yeah, the perspective of saying that, you know, calling being gay a crime and bringing up Iran, he has definitely, you know, it, it, it sounds almost like, boy, that Iran, they sure have their stuff together, don't yeah, they? Yeah, re- a little reaching. It's like in the Reformation, you're telling slaves that you're lucky because they have free housing. <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Tom, you know, the, I mean, remember the Religious Free, uh, Freedom Restoration Act was not about denying and discrimination. It no. was about it was really about people being able to, you know, it was it had a lot to do about, um, you know, wearing certain garb and exactly. wearing certain religious exactly. things. It was about you know being okay with praying or not praying or so forth in public. It had nothing to do with discrimination, and that's the misnomer that's going on. Well, also there's a big change in the in the interim between the federal law and the state law. Corporations became people. Well, it well, feels well, yeah. it feels like it's a whole backlash from the whole gay marriage thing. I knew that after all this whole gay marriage thing that was going on in this country, there's going to be some kind of backlash, and the the whole religious restoration thing is just an example. Well, of and that. if a state, and the, the bottom line is, if a, if a state has anti discrimination on the books for everybody, gays, um, for everything, then this religious act doesn't bother anybody. But no. if you don't have it on the books, then it does become used by folks to deny rights and services to gays, and so exactly. that's. That's the problem with Indiana and Arkansas. Too. And it's well, a stepping stone for other stuff. Well, thank God we got stone. some organizations fighting for us. Thank yeah, goodness. Like thank the, goodness. You know, we do. And one of, the, one of the greatest organizations, and I just saw them this weekend in Palm Springs, um, the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Our own Abby Dees hosted a, a fundraiser in her home, and she got to sit down with Executive Director Kate Kendall and find out what's going on with this great group. This is Abby Dees, and I'm talking with Kate Kendall, the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights, about this pivotal moment in the fight for LGBT equality, the case that is going to the Supreme Court in April. What if we lose? You know, people have asked me several times over the course of the last few months, the worst case scenario, what if we lose? 
So let me say, first of all, I don't think we're going to lose. And we're working as if everything still hangs in the balance. We're working as if we can't take anything for granted. So everyone should know that. If we lose, there is no way to sugarcoat it. It would be an enormous setback. And what it would mean is that states would be free to choose not to either recognize or perform our marriages. It depends on if we lose on one question or we lose on both of them. Either situation is untenable in this country because what it would mean is we're in a caste system. If you live in certain states, you're fully protected, your relationship's protected, you go on a trip, your car crosses the state line, and all of a sudden you're legal strangers to each other. Because that is so appalling a set of circumstances and so complicated to administer, it is almost inconceivable to me that we would see that kind of an outcome. But if we were to get it, I can't we imagine would be, Kennedy would be okay with it. I can't imagine Kennedy. We only need five votes. I think Kennedy is with us. But you know what we would do? We would take to the streets. We would have a fit. We would <laughs> fight back. We would march. We would rally. We would pick ourselves up. And we would make sure that that lasts for as short a window of time as possible. Because obviously, we, we would push back. We would never accept that state of affairs. We did it with the sodomy laws. We did do it with the sodomy laws. And, you know, we have the Bowers... Michael Bowers in Bowers versus Hardwick, who is now the governor of Georgia, not really apologizing, but certainly saying that those laws were wrong and that he wishes he hadn't prosecuted Michael Hardwick. Bowers v. Hardwick being the 1986? 1986, the the Supreme Court ruling that upheld the laws against same-sex sexual intimacy that existed uh, in many states at the time, including Georgia. Very humorous reading to read that case right now. Assuming that we get full marriage equality and we get it based on the equal protection argument, will we have de facto equality? We will be very close to a de facto legal equality. There will be some things that haven't been yet done. We will still see discrimination against transgender individuals. We will still have discrimination in, what will it be, 38 states, 37 states based on in employment, based on our sexual orientation, even more states if it's gender identity. So winning marriage does not equalize LGBT people in terms of civic participation and civic life. It won't change private prejudice. It won't change the parents who can't imagine anything worse than having a gay or a lesbian or a bisexual or transgender child. There's still going to be a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done. But what it does do is it takes government's thumb off the scale in terms of government being an active agent with regard to recognizing or not recognizing our marriages. And that will be enormously important in sort of clearing the table on the rest of the fights that lie ahead. It would be very hard for the government to argue for discrimination after that. I think that's right. And I think it will also be dissonant to have a couple marry, come back after their honeymoon to their place of work, and one or both of them be fired because now they're known to be gay and they had a wedding. I just think that most people would find that situation intolerable, who just who are observing it, not just the couple themselves. And I just don't think that state of affairs will stand for long. But that's the place we live in right now. We live in a country with no federal employment protections and protections in a, only a handful of states. What's different about NCLR? I know Lambda and gay and lesbian advocates and defenders, I mean, they all do amazing work. What is unique about National Center for Lesbian Rights? 
Well, let me first say what's similar. We're all the legal organizations that you talk about, GLAD in Boston, Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Vendors, Lambda Legal, the ACLU, LGBT and HIV Project. We all work together all the time. We're communicating constantly. We're collaborating on cases. Each of us is involved in one of the four cases going to the Supreme Court. And my legal team is on conference calls at least every week and sometimes multiple times a week mapping out what are each of the arguments in each of the cases, making sure all the bases are covered, making sure we're getting the amicus briefs in. So we work together very, very well. And these are organizations I support and their leadership that are good friends of mine and they're just terrific colleagues. NCLR is unique as really an organization that was founded based on really core feminist values, understanding how the issues where lesbians were marginalized, that was the main reason NCLR was founded, to address issues that primarily impacted lesbians. So we were talking about uh, early on, this is you know 30 now, almost 38 years ago, we were doing a lot of custody cases, we were doing a lot of employment cases, and how we evolve, and sort of one of the key animating principles of the organization is always asking the question, who's being left behind? So we do a constant scan of making sure that the most vulnerable are at the center of our work. So our family law work, yes, it includes marriage, but it also includes very, very muscular advocacy on behalf of low-income LGBT families. Our youth work, yes, we do schools work. We will sue schools if they engage in behaviors that create an atmosphere that is hostile or they don't take steps to assure that bullying and those atmospheres do not exist in schools. But most of our youth work is focused on youth in out-of-home care, youth in juvenile justice or foster care systems. So I think where we would be slightly different is that we're really thinking about how are these issues connected? We think about LGBT people, but we think about the wholeness of an LGBT person. They're not just LGBT. It's not just sexual orientation or gender identity. Sometimes it's race. Sometimes it's economic status. Sometimes it's where they live geographically. Do they live in a rural area? All of those factors need to be addressed, and our advocacy needs to address all of those factors for people to be truly free and able to live with a sense of belonging and security. And the good news is we do that very well in collaboration with a number of organizations, including our legal colleagues. It seems to work. It does. I feel like it does work. I feel like we've uh, we've made huge headway in almost every area of the work that we do, and it's very rewarding. It's a really a, sort of a vindication of those old feminist values. They're not out of date. They still matter, and it seems to be a successful approach. And we don't mind using that word. I mean, yeah. it's, an, it's an F <laughs> word God. that we don't mind using because I do feel like, you know, I feel like at least my coming to consciousness as a feminist was really about we're all in this together. And it was also about what kind of country do we want to live in? And so, you know, we step out there on immigration issues. We step out on issues to, you know, oppose the death penalty. We step out on issues when we're talking about racial bias in policing or the prison industrial complex. Because if we live in a country where those issues are addressed, LGBT people are going to be better off. Yeah. And it seems so common sense. You know, we lose sight of that. This is Abby Dees, and I'm talking with Kate Kendall, the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights. What are the other big cases and issues that you're looking at besides marriage? So as we head into, gosh, I guess we're now in almost the second quarter of 2015, clearly getting through the oral argument in the marriage case and the ruling in June is a key institutional priority. But at the same time, We are working very hard on our conversion therapy ban work. 
our Born Perfect campaign is a campaign to end conversion therapy in five years. This is a practice, as everyone knows, of attempting to change a young person, particularly their sexual orientation or their gender identity, which we know is not only not possible, but the damage wreaked by a therapist telling a young 13, 12, 13, 14-year-old that they're wrong and bad and that they need to change. The devastation for young people is just incalculable. And so we've been working with psychological organizations, with lawmakers. We've now been successful in banning conversion therapy on minors by licensed therapists in California and New Jersey. We just got a bill passed in the House in Colorado. We're moving that forward. There are a couple other dozen states where we're working on that. That's a big focus of our youth work. One of the big issues going forward, sort of to go back to these license to discriminate laws using religion, that is going to be, it is right now, and it is going to be a huge piece of our work going forward because it's like, we'll have this victory, we'll have our landmark moment, but then implementing that to make sure that it is real on the ground for people no matter where they live. Then we'll continue to do our asylum work and push for immigration reform in this country and our sports work. Our sports work has really taken off and we work very collaboratively, but it's really about eliminating homophobia in sports by having athletes come out, which we've seen bigger numbers of that in huge ways, a conversation in sports about the existence of LGBT athletes and creating safe environments for LGBT athletes and coaches. And then finally, our other project area is our elder law work. And that is becoming more and more important as LGBT people who've been out their whole lives are aging, get to be in their 70s or 80s and find to their shock that sometimes they have to go back in the closet because the nursing home won't accept them as an openly LGBT person. So fighting against any sort of place, sort of a cradle to grave (laughs) approach that even as you age, that you can be out and respected for who you are and making sure that any institutions or businesses that do work on behalf of the elderly understand that LGBT elderly are part of their population. The one thing that I am really mindful of in this moment in time is just how privileged we are. So I talk about this everywhere I go, that I feel very, very lucky to be a witness to our own liberation as it is happening at this moment. And I feel like I stand on the shoulders of many men and women who are no longer here, did not live to see this day. And so I want people to have a sense of privilege that you made this happen. I mean, yes, organizations did something. We took certain cases or we take initiatives and yes, we're a piece of it, but we all made this happen. You tell somebody it's not appropriate for them to use the F word, the bad F word at the workplace, or they can't tell an anti-gay joke, or you tell your uncle at Thanksgiving, no, you know, you argue for why he should not vote in favor of Prop 8. I mean, people everywhere had conversations took risks, wrote a letter, wrote a check to an organization. We are all part of how we got to this moment, and we should all be celebrating even as we understand we're not done yet. Kate, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure, Abby, anytime. This is Abby Deese, and I've been talking with Kate Kendall, the Executive Director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights. On April 28, NCLR will be asking the Supreme Court to rule definitively that marriage equality is the law of the land. To stay up to date on this and more, you can go to nclrights.org. All right. 
Cool. Perfect. Thank you Love so it, baby. Much. That's great. Awesome. April 28th. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. You know, I saw Kate Kendall this weekend when I was in uh, Palm Springs for the Dyna, and I was at a throw great- that in. I know. I have to throw <laughs> that in. I'm still wearing my bracelet. I saw those All pictures right. of you with Lily Tomlin. I know. I got to talk to Lily. Susan You're going to hear- uh, Who did I not talk to? We're going to hear that very soon right we here are. at IMRU. I'm so jealous. But, you know, interesting about Kate Kendall, you know, she grew up in Utah and, and was Mormon for years. I did not know that. I know. Mm. I learned that. So, All but right. she is a really, I mean, she is so inspirational. She's, I mean, people could not talk about how she has changed lives. Wow. Yeah. Well, still to come, Matthew Shepard's father and his best friend from high school talk about Matthew's life, legacy, and a new documentary called Matt Shepard Was a Friend of Mine. And right here in our studio, we have Marlo Bernier, whose real-life transition from actor to actress inspired her hilarious new project, Myrna. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Josephine Baker Saves the Children, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Josephine Baker was born in New York in 1873. Tragically, her three siblings died during their childhood. In 1898, she graduated from medical school. Determined to keep Victorian views of women from limiting her ambitions, she dressed in masculine suits. She came to prominence with her historic breakthroughs in preventative medicine while serving as the first director of New York City's Bureau of Child Hygiene. Her pilot programs on child hygiene, maternal education, and midwife training helped drastically reduce the mortality rates of children under five. In turn, fellow physicians petitioned the mayor saying her work, quote, ruined medical practice by its results in keeping babies well. Josephine wrote she was profoundly grateful for the compliment. She spent the rest of her life as an advocate for children with support from her female partners and a legion of feminist friends. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Mary Gay Hutcherson. Hello, I'm Dennis Shepard, Matthew Shepard's father, and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM. 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You are listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. And I'm Ms. Barbecue. And don't forget, you can make a donation. You can? You how? can. You can make Tell a donation how. right now. It, you can text KPFK at 20222, and we will get $10 to keep us going. So I just get my phone. Get your phone. You're real easy. And I just text. You go to your texting area, okay. and you say KPFK. Uh-huh. Send that where? And you send it two zero two 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 and donates ten dollars. It goes out into the cloud, and ten dollars gets into our coffers, and we can stay on the air. That interweb is amazing. Isn't make it, it? Make it rain, y'all. Make it rain. Two zero two two two. Text now, and we get some of your money. Thank you. Yes. Well, speaking of things I support, over the years I've interviewed Matthew Shepard's mom, Judy, quite a few times, but until recently, I've never met his dad. Hmm. The victim of what many people say was a hate crime in Wyoming this morning has died. 21-year-old Matthew Shepard was found beaten and unconscious last week near the University of Wyoming. Shepard was gay. Millions of people around the world see Matthew Shepard as a gay rights icon. And his brutal 1998 murder was a crystallizing moment in the crusade for LGBT equality. But symbols aren't flesh and blood. Matt was. He was 5 foot 2 inches tall. 
He weighed just 105 pounds. When he died, he still had braces. What were his likes, his dislikes? What kind of person was he? A new documentary made by one of his closest high school friends, with the cooperation of his parents, answers that question. Hello, I'm Michelle Husway. The director of Matt Shepard is a friend of mine. Hello, I'm Dennis Shepard, Matthew Shepard's father. Michelle, why make the documentary now? I think I just didn't have the courage until now. I, I don't have a really simplistic answer for it. It's just when Matt died, I was only 19, and it was really kind of confusing for me. You know, I was just figuring out my own life and the world around me, and suddenly I realized that the world was a very cruel place. So it was very, very devastating. And it just took me many, many, many years to kind of be able to even talk about Matt and my friendship with him without just crying, unfortunately. So I think it's just a lack of courage on my part and being so emotionally confused about how someone who was so gentle and kind could be taken away in such a horrific fashion. So it it honestly, the grief was so profound for all of us that it took 12 years for us to even begin embarking on a project like this. What was he like in high school? When I first met Matt, he was really quite shy, I think. I think he was homesick, as we all were. But you could tell that there was something more there. So we got to know each other really well through theater. And, you know, when you do a lot of productions, you spend a lot of time together. And I quickly learned he had a really wicked sense of humor. And he just blossomed, I think, in our school. And he was really gregarious and and just generous and loved everyone. And I think he was kind of like the unofficial mayor of our school. He just loved everyone, and not only the students, like the teachers and and the the staff, you know, the people who would clean up the classrooms and the cafeteria and stuff. Everyone loved him. He was so kind and so big-hearted, and that's really unique. Now that I'm older, I can look back and just really think about, wow, like you don't really meet people like that very often. What is the difference between Matthew Shepard and Matt Shepard? I always think of Matthew and Matt as two separate things. You know, Matthew is this gay rights icon who's the face of the inequality and violence that the LGBT community faces on a daily basis. But then Matt is something very precious to us. He was a human being. He was a son, a brother, a really, really good friend. And that's very sacred. But now with the time and the perspective, we just felt it was very important to share that human side of him and and show the world that behind the headline, there was a real person. And he left behind a group of people that still miss him. So I, I don't know, I just, you have these great ideas and politics and activism, but at the heart of it all, it's we're all human beings. So it was just really important for me to try and have people connect to Matt again in that way, or maybe for the first time in that way. I don't know who Matthew Shepard is. All I know is my son, Matt, with his highs and his lows and his smile and his love for politics and theater and always being able to to meet people and make them instantly friends of his. The Matthew Shepard is something that was being created by the media and by people inside and outside the gay community who needed a symbol. And he became a symbol with the way that that he looked and his being just a 
ordinary country kid who ended up going overseas to school and blossomed with his ability to speak multiple languages and his size, his love of the theater, politics, people. Everybody could see something in him that related to them. So he became the symbol of the abuse and the lack of equality that the straight community enjoyed. And the struggle that came because of that, the way he died and and the way he had lived and his friends and everything, it just became a natural for the media to pick up on it. That's what surprised us the most. Of all the hate crime victims in the gay community over the years, Matt was the one who ended up uh, as the forefront. And the transition into the discussions that we have now. You went from grieving father to LGBT activist very quickly. What have you learned over these last 17 years? The thing I've learned is how close-minded people are, just like they were with interracial marriage and civil rights. But the abuse, the intolerance, and the lack of equality that the gay community was receiving through these years has just been a real eye-opener to both Judy and myself. We just didn't realize it. And I think that's what's caused a lot of the change. A lot of the straight community didn't realize that. They thought, well, they're Americans. They have all the same rights. It turns out they didn't. They couldn't adopt. They couldn't get married. They couldn't inherit. They couldn't have hospital privileges. None of that that the straight community takes for granted. How can you say you're an American citizen and not have the same rights? You pay the same taxes. Did anything surprise you watching this film? We learned a couple things that we were surprised about. One of them was that he was afraid to tell us he was gay, even though we thought we had an open relationship with the kids. I think it was just due to the culture of the country and and just the whole thing. The other thing that was a surprise was that he journaled so much, and it was so introspective, the things that he was concerned about, and his letters to his friends. That was pretty amazing that he was so prolific a writer but he just would never send them out. They were all in his possessions that we would be cleaned out his apartment until Michelle came along. We just didn't want to open those up and look what was in there because we didn't want to get to the point where there's gum wrappers and stuff. Let's throw that away. Because anytime you took something like that and threw it away, you were throwing away a part of Matt. So we just left it there so that if somebody like Michelle wanted to come and, and do research and, do a movie or a book that we approved of or something like that. We had the materials there, just like we did all the letters that came in when Matt was in the hospital and afterwards. That became part of the uh, display that they showed at Ford Theater when they did the Laramie Project. And that display is now being given to the foundation, and we send it around the country with various productions of the Laramie Project. But it all came in at the same time just... It's part of Matt that we we don't want to lose. And it's hard to watch. And again, it's, it's great to see him again. It's bittersweet that we had to make this film. I really wish... <laughs> Sorry. Take your time. It's hard. We've been doing press a lot. So. <laughs> Take your time. No, I just wish we never had to make this film. It's important to me as his friend that people get to know him as someone other than just a victim. He was so much more. (laughs) Sorry. 
I just want people to know that he was a good person. And he was so much more than the way in which he died. Sorry. This has been a conversation with Matt's dad, Dennis Shepard, and his high school friend, documentarian Michelle Hosway. Find more information on her film at mattshepardisafriendofmine.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. The Matthew Shepard Foundation is still going strong. Find more information on them at matthewshepardfoundation.org. Oh my gosh, it still takes my heart. It brings me back to when I first heard about it. You know, it's very difficult when, you know, when when a person becomes an icon or a martyr, we start to, we encapsulate that one thing that brought them to the national or the world attention. And mm-hmm. so, you know, anybody who's who's become this this symbol or this figure, we, we have lost sight of the fact that they were human beings who, you know, ate dinner and, you know, watched movies and hung out with friends. And I think it's really great to see, you know, who the whole person was. And his parents are such amazing people that have kept his memory alive and also fought for our civil rights. For yeah, they've been, they've been tireless. Years. Yeah. They've been really tireless. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, but, and, and every time they do this, they're reminded that their son is dead. And that's, to do that is beyond brave. Well, this is going to be a difficult segue for our next guest. <laughs> yes. One funny Try to follow lady. that girl. Well, there's bravery there to follow that and make and bring it up. So but let's bring Marlo it up. Marlo Brene, mm. I met you at the Gallica, the Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association Awards this year, and I just fell in love with you totally. Oh, thank you. I fell in oh love with gosh. you, Oh, my gosh. Right here on the air. Right here. Oh, <laughs> but you were giving us all a link to your pilot for Myrna. Sure. Which is... Um, Would you like it's called You're Not Done Yet. Right, before we even start, I want to play a yeah. clip okay. so we understand how marvelously done this is. Thank you. Myrna Michaels. Oh, hey, come on in. Hi. Thank you. How's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Nice resume. Thank you. I've read you before? Yes, but um, it's been a while. Yeah. I'm ready to get back to work now. Back? I took some time off. Ah, uh, these things happen. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're, uh, Healthy now? Yes. Rehab? Well, not exactly. <laughs> um, series regular on Frenemies. Uh, refresh my memory at... Who did you play? Tom's neighbor. I don't remember Tom's neighbor having a wife. He didn't. I was Jeff. I was the neighbor. Michael! Oh, my God! I hardly recognize you. You look amazing. Thank you, and you too. And it's Myrna. Right, right. Um, And you're here to read for Joan? Yes. Oh. (laughs) What? It's just, my producers, they they just wouldn't... But you could still read me. I don't think so. Please, I'm, I'm not trying to be difficult, but I read The Breakdown, and I'm perfect for Joan. Michael... Myrna, I just, I can't. Please, just read me for Joan. Just read me. I can't. Oh, my wow. God. That's a very oh. special episode. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. I know. So, read for Joan. Who inspired this? 
Oh my goodness, what inspired that? Um, am I too far away? Okay, yes. great. Um, no, I am. Am I close enough now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, Marlo Bernier with all of you guys here, finally in the studio. We've been talking about that for the better part of I don't know, a couple of months or so, but it finally happened, and I'm so happy to be here. So thank you. Are you ducking the question? Yes, I'm ducking the question. (laughs) Um, Two transsexuals and a rabbi walk into a bar. Um, (laughs) One transsexual says to the other one, hey, I thought you said it was supposed to be a priest. It was. He couldn't make it. He's tied up with the kids. In honor, in honor of all the religious freedom, I wanted to make sure. Yeah, you you know, we thought. Okay. What inspired Myrna? I digress. Um, many, many years ago, at this point, at least close to four, I was I had a soft offer to do a reality show based on my life. Mm. I virtually really didn't have any interest in it at all. Come full circle, another producing partner of mine and the co-writer and director of the pilot, Ted Campbell, um, has kind of seen me through my full transition. He knew me before as Mark. And that's no big secret. If you IMDb me, you'll see a bunch of credits that don't match up with the picture of the woman in the page, you know. So you ha- so Myrna is based on your life. It then. is based on my life. So you were yeah. an actor, a well-known actor, and now well, you were an actress that is going to break through any second. Any second. Yeah. Um, any second. Any yeah. second. It's mm-hmm. Hollywood. It could happen. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. That's the beauty but, of but this town. The thing I liked about that clip is that is that a real-life difficulty? You go in with your resume. It's becoming less Let's be, you know, right up front about that. I mean, it is becoming less of a, not a taboo. There's a big discussion, and we could, we could talk for way longer than what's left or whatever about this, but there's been many times the discussion brought up within and from outside of the community about should trans roles only be played by trans authentic trans actors, sure. you know, mm-hmm. and so on. But then by the same token, are we saying then that trans authentic or people who have a trans past or who are living in their transgenderism, are they also not allowed to play non-trans specific roles? You know, where it's a two-way street. It's a very slippery slope if we go down it. The well, whole I way. know I'm an actress as well. Mm-hmm. I'm an actor. I don't know if you say actor. Actress. I say actor for both <clears throat> Thank male you. and yeah, I'm an actor. actor. I'm a too. thespian, yes. which I prefer. Yeah. Yes. And I have been to auditions, and I and I have been with you know you know the, the key to auditions. You sit in a room with a lot of people who look kind of like you, mm-hmm. or kind of unless everybody is so dis so completely different that it's basically you know they're just trying to figure out what it is. But I've had I, trans women mm-hmm. in my auditions, and the part was not in any way read as trans or anything. Right. And so, but they were just part of the audition. I thought great. That is great. Absolutely. Although I said, Bit? oh yeah. no, I'm getting this part. Stop. <laughs> It with those legs, <laughs> <laughs> always with the legs. It's always, always with, with the legs. legs. Oh my gosh! I just realized I'm the only person in this room who's not done a film. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, you are. That anyone has seen on television. Well, <laughs> the Pizza Boy <laughs> Delivers was in the '70s, and they said no one would see it. And and everybody's I need the got money. a tape. Oh, somewhere. It's, a, it's, it's out there somewhere. Somebody Google that right quick. <laughs> I do have a question. Yes. On that scene when you were you were talking to the casting director and mm-hmm. you were saying you already had a rapport with with the casting director. In real life, has that happened where where you came across a casting director, you knew who they were, they knew who you were. Did they actually read you? Like, like, would they? Did they relent to read you, or was it was it this total cutoff, like in the clip of "No, I can't get out" kind of deal? There have been instances, and now this predates 
the pilot that's currently out there. So yeah. this is based. Keep in mind, you know, there is you know, there's a certain amount of it's of, a moment of, of poetic or theatrical license taken. Yeah. However, the 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 three casting directors are kind of in and of themselves composite characters of many different casting experiences, yeah. regardless and separate and apart from trans versus non trans you know what I mean? So it's just it's it's showing more more than anything else, the daily grind of the actor in L.A. Have you yeah. booked anything as an actress? I have. Good. Were you yeah. booked as a, was it a, was it a trans character? No. Well, that's awesome. That's yeah. amazing. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's nice to hear that. It's uh, two of my, fr- I mean, it wasn't based on anything other than people knowing my work, and it was no- Noah Alp- Applebaum and Terry Frucciante's uh, new film coming out that they took an entire year to shoot. And I play the um, <clears throat> the well endowed uh, elementary school teacher. Well, well, <laughs> this, this sounds steamy and kind of creepy. I'm bragging. <laughs> well, now I'm gonna have to Google that too. <laughs> well, now. <laughs> anyway, so yes, I have. Yes, excellent. Yeah. So what is it like out there for all the actors out there listening? I mean, you know, I know how it is. I'm 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 doing a play in June. Oh, not, cool. not to make this about me, but no. why not? Yeah, but I mean, are you working? Are you are you doing other things? Or are you just, th- this show is the thing. Because tr- the buzz for this show is huge. It is just called Myrna. Myrna, right? that's and the name of the And it's just going to be the life of kind of like a that girl, Anne-Marie. Myrna's mm-hmm. out there, you know, pounding mm-hmm. the pavement, getting the work, yeah, yeah. you making know, it making happen. it happen. Is there, and you have, I mean, what's the arc? Is there going to be love interest, sure, parents, absolutely. all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, we have a show Bible, so it's not just the pilot. The and show you Bible. wrote the whole thing or you have a no, co-writer? No, 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 no. I have, uh, I have more than one co-writer, but one credited co-writer is Ted Campbell for okay. the pilot. Gotcha. But everybody in the writer's room for the pilot and beyond um, contains uh, Jennifer Fontaine, who is my my direct producing partner and filmmaking partner of well over what ten a great years. Great name! It's a yeah. great name. It's and the best she's, Hollywood she's name. In it, right? She's in it. She plays Maxine, Myrna's mm. best friend, in whose garage Myrna resides. So at the top of, of the show, of course, you live in a garage. Yes, of course, yeah. right? Sure. Um, and um, and Myrna's ex fiance mm-hmm. is played by the. Um, Award-winning actor Julie Carmen from Gloria by yeah. Cassavetes. Uh, Mark Atterbury, who you've all seen a thousand times, solid actor. He plays the new fiancé to Steffi, Myrna's ex. Um, Paul McKinney plays Myrna's manager. Oh, wow. You've got a cavalcade of stars here. I mean, uh, great names. And we might not know their names, but we know their faces. If you saw, the, when you see the pilot, um, and I think you have the link up or something I somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And we will post that on our yeah. Facebook page. Thank you. So yeah. people can go and see this. In one week, when we when we went live with it to the public, where mm-hmm. it wasn't password protected, mm-hmm. hundred and close to one hundred fourteen thousand people. Oh saw my it. god! Well, that's so. amazing. I I, I looked you. Uh, of course, I Google everyone before they come on this show. I I saw that Fanbacked had had financed you guys in like what ten days or something. Well, Fanbacked is a platform just like Kickstarter or yeah. Indiegogo. Or I never kind heard of, of Fanbacked. Yeah, it was so. brand new. It's Brad. We- it was Brad Brad Weinman's <laughs> newest. Um, foray into uh, crowdsourcing or crowdfunding mm-hmm. uh-huh. and uh, we went with him Jennifer has a, f- a long term relationship with him goes back many years and he's become friends with and colleagues to all of us and so on and so forth all and, about they, connections. and that was how it happened it happened in 10 days we raised the pilot money it's amazing to produce it. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing to hear that 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 people are actually looking and paying attention. Um Marlo Bernier has a new show called Myrna and how can they see it, Steve? Well, we will post the link on our IMRU Radio Facebook page 
So check that out tomorrow when we'll post the show tonight. Okay. Uh, post she, tonight's show tomorrow mm-hmm. and also post that link. Okay. She's taking the um, URLs we need to give out. I mean, the only I can give you the URL if you want it on on the do you air. Have a, do you have a fa- do you have a Facebook page? Do you I have, have a, a, Myrna, a website. Myrna has a Facebook page. Myrna has a fa- Myrna has a Facebook page. Myrna has a, a Twitter, which is at Myrna TV Show. Uh, my Twitter is at Marlo B fifty nine. Jennifer's as is at Jen underscore Fontaine, and um, and the Myrna regular website is MyrnaTVShow dot com. That's okay. it. There you wow, go. I really wish we had more time. I know. I we'll have, have tons of questions soon. I had to ask you. So, well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take Tim Perlico's by the hand, and exit to the far left of the tram's forward motion. Thanks tonight to director Michelle Marie Gilkison, our social media guru Matt McLaughlin, coordinating producer Steve Pride, our Rainbow Minute producers Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And follow us on Facebook at I Am Marie Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted by noon every Tuesday. That's tomorrow. Noonish. Yes, noonish. Ish. And don't forget to text KPFK to 20222. And I want to remind everyone that we are starting. I know this is, sounds a little crazy because we just finished one, but we are starting a one-week fun drive tomorrow, and we really, really, really need your help. This really? will be a very different fun drive. You won't see many programming changes, and we won't be giving you amazing DVD cures. We were just asking you to help us. Yes. Please. This help. is even easier than giving Myrna to help Myrna money to help Myrna make the pilot. All you got to do is text KPFK to two zero two 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 to donate ten lousy bucks. Everybody's Ooh. got ten bucks. Come on, Everybody. girl, you are hired, girl. Yes. <laughs> We're going to close with a song written and recorded as a benefit CD single for the Matthew Shepard Foundation back in nineteen ninety nine. That. It's always been one of my favorites. Here's Randy Driscoll performing What Matters. Good night. Good Good night. You were the brightest angel Heaven had ever seen You walked in with a story to tell In ten thousand tongues to scream And you said Doesn't your heart beat the same as mine? Haven't I told you a thousand times? And isn't the air in my lungs the same air you breathe? So who cares? Whose arms are more wrapped up in? Who cares? Whose eyes are seen? Myself in. Who cares who I dream of? Who cares who I love? Heaven help me for I am lost. What a price my love did cost. Here I am still.
Doesn't my rainbow 